This is part two of the four-part podcast, What the Beginner Yogi Should Know About Spiritual Experience. I think I may have mentioned before, but in the early days, the Hare Krishna people put out a magazine that was mostly mimeographed. And uh, in it, they had letters that people had written to Swami Bhaktivedanta, the uh, founder of the Hare Krishna movement in America. And I remember there was one where someone wrote and said, last Saturday, I saw your people in the park, that no doubt meant Central Park, and I sang and I danced with them and I sang the mantra. And I felt happy and uh, loved it. So am I now enlightened? <laughs> <laughs> and Swami Bhaktivedanta uh, just wrote, when you've eaten a large meal, do you have to ask anyone if your stomach is full? Just keep on chanting Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the way our ideas are small. So you see, again, Jesus is greater than any idea we have of God. There are people, they think, oh, we exalt Jesus. He is divine. Jesus created the world. I've seen medieval pictures <laughs> that shows what looked like, you know, petrified fish being put down in the water by Jesus. In other words, he's created the fish and he's, he's <laughs> putting them in the water. I mean, these childish, childish things. And to create worlds, this I think I have mentioned before, oh, yes. the great Russian saint, Sarah Masarov, said archangels can create worlds. Well, there's human, and then there's the next level is angel, and then the next level above that is archangel. So that's really, that's still sort of like advanced kindergarten. So <laughs> to the ability to create a world, evolve the world, dissolve that world, is in the hands of people long even before they attain the highest. So this is why it's incomprehensible to us. So these beings are greater, greater, greater than we can imagine. And as Krishna says, just an atom of mind sustains the universe. He's speaking as the absolute self. Mm -hmm. So all these miraculous things and so on that are done, what is that? You know, uh, Yogananda writes in his autobiography about meeting the great stigmatist, Teresa Neumann. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was truly a remarkable person. I, uh, you find it worthwhile to read biographies of hers, of, about her, and other books, because uh, Yogananda said she was Saint Mary Magdalene reborn, yes, who I came to Earth, yeah, who came to Earth to demonstrate that Jesus really lived, and that the Gospels are accurate historical accounts. And um, so um, uh, she shocked a bunch of people one time. Actually, the parish priest was there and some other people. These were religious people, of course. And they started, they talked about the miracles of Jesus. Well, he walked on the water and he stilled the storms and he fed thousands of people and this and this. And suddenly she said, this is nothing. This isn't anything. When you really know the Savior, 
you know that these are just tiny, insignificant incidents that he could do so much more. <coughs> and of course, because they had small minds, they objected mm-hmm. and said, oh, no, 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 and blah, 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 blah. But this is true. Dying and resurrecting, that's a tiny thing. It's just more of the movies, you know? Mm-hmm. More of the movies. What gets higher is what I think I've also mentioned before, that when people think of Yogi Raj Shamachar and Lahiri, also called Lahiri Mahashai, of his, his miracles. He could cure illnesses. He knew the future. He knew the past. All of these kind of things he could do. But but Swami Keshavananda, who was his, one of his very great disciples, said, uh, the bodies, for example, that he healed, well, they put them in the crematory fires eventually. So it, the healing was just an incident as they were on the way still to death mm-hmm. and to being burned to ashes. But he said, this spiritual awakening which took place uh, in those who really were following his words, this was something then that couldn't be wiped out, that wouldn't be wiped out. So here's our problem. We want so little. We're like, suddenly we decide we want some things when we're little children. Maybe we decide, you know, think, think of a little child that saw an automobile and suddenly began to say, I want one. <laughs> I want one of those. Maybe daddy is rich enough to buy him an automobile. Maybe they'll be four years old. They can't drive it. But instead, daddy will buy them a little toy car and then they'll be completely satisfied with it. <laughs> so you see, life throws toys at us. And frankly, oftentimes when we think we're wanting to go to God, we begin to say, oh, I want God, I want God, I want the infinite. And this now comes back to experiences. And instead, somebody sees visions, and they're beautiful visions, or they see angelic beings, or they feel that they go out of their body to a higher realm, and they're impressed with that. And then they want to impress everybody else when they tell about their experience. And yet they've been fooled. In other words, they've said, I want you, God. And God said, oh, do you really want me? Uh, How about having a really good car? You get the good (laughs) car, you forget all about God. Oh, God, I love you. I want to love you. And I want to know you. And I want to know you love me. Oh, oh. Listen, wouldn't you like to be in love? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to someone who loved you back? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Oh, yes, yes, God. Okay, fine. So God drops down a husband or a wife and then a house and then children and then success. And God... (laughs) uh, I live, I grew up in a little tiny town. They were mostly hillbillies and people, you listen to a lot of hillbilly music. And there was a, a song that was meant to be semi-comic about uh, 
uh, how unpleasant it was when there were a lot of people around to eat and you had to be sure they got all the good stuff and you didn't. And it was called take an old cold tater and wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, people take old cold taters and their spiritual life goes on hold. I knew a man, an intelligent man, who was a very devoted yogi. He hadn't had a happy life. And uh, actually, Frank, he didn't much like himself. But then he found yoga. And the real world began opening up to him. And he was extremely devoted. And he, he did indeed meditate. And he, you know, engaged in also very good and positive um, actions, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and he was so happy, and he was content. And then one of his aunts died, and she left him an apartment house, okay? Now, when I met him, he didn't meditate. He didn't go to ever hear any spiritual discourse. He owned four apartment houses. In other words, he had gotten three more. Mm -hmm. And that was his whole life. Four apartment houses and no contact with God. Four old cold taters, <laughs> moldy taters, spoiled taters and poisonous taters, and he was happy. So God says, oh, you really think you want me? I don't mean God is cynical. I'm being very anthropomorphic about this. What God is doing is showing you you don't really want it. For example, I knew a very wonderful, I mean a very, very wonderful, genuinely spiritual man in India. He was actually pretty well known for, I mean, his goodness and his charities and so on. But more than that, he really was uh, an incredible person. And he told me that um, he suddenly had the idea, I've got to know God. I mean, what am I doing? He, he was vastly uh, wealthy, and he had all kinds of spiritual involvements. Why he administered temples, one of the major temples in New Delhi called the Birla Temple. He was the manager of that. Birla, whom they call Raja Birla, uh, was his close friend. And uh, and he, he even managed ashrams, okay? Mm -hmm. And he was a wonderful, admirable person. But one time when there was just the two of us, he said, you know, I got this feeling, I must know God, and I started feeling desperate about it. And so uh, I heard that Mother Anandamai was going to pass through Delhi uh, on, on her way to some uh, place she was supposed to attend some function. And, uh, you know, I found out the actual time the train would come, etc., and uh, this was very common. Uh, if Ma was going to, say, be stopped at a train station for 40 or 30 minutes, 
the, the smart bees would find out about it and they'd come running to the hive and they would, they would be there until Ma left. So this happened. Mm -hmm. And when he got to the trade station, Ma was there already. And she was walking up and down and up and down and up and down. And when she passed by him, he called out, Ma. And she stopped and said, yes. And he said, Ma, I want to know God. And Ma looked at him and she smiled. And she said, do you really want to know God? And he said, I knew <laughs> that if I said yes, she would tell me to become a sannyasi. And you understand, this man had a family and he mm -hmm. had all these obligations. Yes. So he said, I put my hands together and said, Ma, no, Ma, I don't want to know God. And Ma laughed and walked on. <laughs> See? So we can also say, I want you, God. And God says, well... Uh, have this. Um, uh, there was, uh, to be really mundane, there was a really good uh, uh, special uh, about the Muppets. I don't know if you remember the Muppet show or not. Oh, yeah. Yep. Does it mean anything? Yeah. Anyway, this was one, and I can't remember the title of it, but there was one where it was a satire of, of Ingmar Bergman's films. And so um, uh, it begins and says something, I, I think it was, I was in the garden of my grandfather walking, and suddenly death appeared. And death said to me, you have to go with me, you have to come with me. And I said, no, 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 no. Uh, I want to live, I want to live. And death said, well, how about a rubber chicken? And a lot of people settle for the rubber chicken. And that's sad and that's tragic. But how else will we learn that we really didn't want it? You see, it is very sad to see how cheap and small we can be. And cheap, small people are utterly overwhelmed by cheap and small so-called spiritual experiences. This is extremely, it's crucial for us to realize that because God can fool us in a sense and say, oh, well, here, have this. And then that's the end of it all, you know? See, for example, Vivekananda, when he came back to India after his first time of having gone out and come to America and, you know, been at the great parliament of religions and so on, and had then gone on a mm -hmm. tour around America. When he was in college, he had a lot of friends that had very genuine spiritual aspirations, and they used to talk a lot about higher things. And they used to talk about the importance of these things and the fact that you've got to attain something in this life, not just get something. And he said, when I came back and I met all those people, I saw they were small-minded people with small goals. 
and they no longer had any interest for that which transcends all these small things. So the first thing about a so-called spiritual experience is, is it a a rubber chicken? (laughs) Is it a substitute for what I really should Mm -hmm. be having? Am I... Should I be desiring a kingdom and instead somebody gave me um, 10 square feet to make a little garden out of it instead? Could I have been, could I have had a kingdom and instead somebody just gave me a, a little house in Chicago? We have to think about that. And then we have to think about how we are satisfied then with this stuff. So first question is, is this a genuine a sign of genuine growth or is this an obstacle or is this a test? Is this a revelation to me of how little I really aspire to? Now that doesn't suit the ego and people don't like it and they just can't handle being told the truth. Listen next to part three of this four-part podcast about what the beginner yogi should know about spiritual experience.